0: Happy Monday, Liberty Kitties. And before we get into today's episode, I want you to pause with me for just a moment and do a little thought experiment. I want you to picture the year. It is 2027. And Kamala Harris is in her first and only term as we no longer have elections. She was declared president for life after President Biden was removed from office in March 2021 uh, due to dementia. You need a COVID vaccine passport to get on a plane to even travel from state to state. In fact, you can't even leave the country. Without getting your COVID vaccine. And you think to yourself, my gosh, why, why did I not listen to Mark Claire and tune in to the Expat Money Show so much? Sooner, Because the Expat Money Show is where my trusted friend, Mikkel Thorup, gives you all the tools you need to come up with a plan B, to have another option for when shit hits the fan here in the U.S., to set yourself up, not just to exit the U.S., but to have assets overseas, to have a real plan B, to have a second passport, so that the government here cannot stop you from traveling, stop you from leaving the country. These are the kinds of topics that Mikkel Thorup gets into each and every week, on the Expat Money Show. I cannot recommend the show highly enough. Head over to expatmoneyshow.com. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcatcher. And while you're doing this, I want you to head over to expatmoneyforum.com and join the Facebook group where we talk about these very same subjects. I actually help moderate that group. So head over, subscribe to the Expat Money Show, and join the conversation over at expatmoneyforum.com. All right, Kitty Katz, my guest today is the former host of the Death to Tyrants podcast. Uh, do not fret, though. He is not former because the show has gone away. He has not been deplatformed, nothing like that. Not yet anyway. Uh, he has merely re uh, remarketed the show, renamed the show, however you want to call it. He is now the host of CounterFlow with Buck Johnson. I'm very pleased to welcome for the very first time, Buck Johnson. Buck, are you ready to roar?
1: I am. I am. I've heard so many people say yes to that. Now I'm glad I'm finally getting to do this. Let's you can, do it. You
0: can check the the box off on
1: your bucket yes, list.
0: Yes, checked. You have now confirmed in audio form that you are indeed uh, ready to roar. Uh, but Buck, uh, we got a lot to talk about. I don't know what that's going to be, because as we discussed before the show, we're just going to kind of let this thing go wherever it goes. That's not my favorite interview format right now. Uh, But of course, there is one place I know we're going to go, and that is to the Buck Johnson origin story. How did this all start for you? Not just how your mom and dad met and saw the twinkle in their eyes and created you. You can get into that if you want. But how did you first get interested in politics uh, and kind of get down this path uh, into the ideas of liberty?
1: Uh, In the 90s. Well, well, I'm I'm 44 now, so that'll help put some kind of perspective time wise. But in the 90s,
0: finally, someone older than me. All these podcasters are, are are just little little children, you know. How old are you? I'm 40.
1: Okay, so you got me by just a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, sometime in the 90s, I don't. You know, I was just talking to someone about this the other day. I wish I could remember or take a take a uh, a DeLorean back in time to where I could see how I picked up certain books. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, you know, this was kind of before the internet was much of a thing, but I was interested in politics a little bit. I was raised conservative, uh, kind of neocon-esque, you know, this was the 90s, anti-Bill Clinton years uh, for my family. And I always had a bit of an interest. I don't really know why, what sparked it. And at some point, uh, I found Harry Brown's book, The Great Libertarian Offer, and you know, I, I moved to Austin. Yeah, I moved to Austin in '98, and Alex Jones was big here on the radio, like on FM radio. And he was just, you know, I I'm, I marvel when I see how how massively famous he's become now. Not that I'd never thought he would, but it's still, it's like that's that guy from Public Access that I used to watch here. And uh, he had mentioned Ron Paul. He had Ron Paul on the show back in those days. And I guess it could have been through that, but somehow I got Harry Brown's book, *The Great Libertarian Offer*, and that kind of did it. It was one of those moments where once you're, uh, once you see and read these, uh, these ideas and the philosophy, you can't unsee it. And so I was uh, hooked after that.
0: I gotta dig into this early Alex Jones stuff because I I was listening to what I thought was early Alex Jones but I'm talking 2006 2007 you were really Mm -hmm. listening to early Alex Jones before he kind of blew up on the national scene and had info wars and and all that stuff Uh, he was really just an an, an FM radio host Uh, this might have been right before right after uh, he was Bill Hicks so we don't need to get into that necessarily but but, uh, what was it like listening to early Alex Jones uh, compared to like what he's become now was it similar in vibe or was it was As conspiratorial, or was it more kind of uh, just kind of hard, you know,
1: conservative plus? It was very anti police state. That was kind of the thing back then. He was uh, talking a lot about Waco. He was very, uh, the the police state thing was the big issue and the, the raids for the drug war and stuff like that. And this was, keep in mind, just before 9 11. So it's, it's weird now to almost think after, you know, these tech companies censor everyone, and he was one of the first ones to get deplatformed, that he was on an FM radio station. Not saying too much different than he says now. Of course, this is way pre-Trump, and I, I, I think that some of these companies hate him because of the Trump stuff. They'll use other excuses like Sandy Hook, but... Uh, he was, it was just, uh, I would say like conspiratorial libertarian is, is how I would frame what he was doing back then. And like I said, he had Ron Paul on, uh, it seemed like fairly often, and that's kind of what got me into him. And uh, what a cool, I mean, this was 98, 99, and, and 2000, I, I'm fortunate, you know, I, I hate Austin, I left it, yeah, I'm so glad to be out of it, but I was fortunate to be in it back then.
0: It's funny, I actually, I kind of discovered Alex Jones through Ron Paul. Like, I, I was really getting into Ron Paul and his writing and everything he was saying, and I, I think I somehow can, I was, like, tr- consuming every single interview that he did. And I, it was an interview he did with Alex Jones, I think, in 2006 or 2007. And I was like, ah, this guy's interesting. Like, this guy's entertaining. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, I, I just got kind of sucked into... It became too much for me. Like, I I was like, man, he's he seems like... A little nuts, but maybe a little right. And a lot of things he said are true were things I believe with just the uh, things he was against, the things he was opposing. and But now, looking back, it's like, whew, okay, maybe he was more right than I gave credit for because now a lot of the things that he was saying in 2008 uh, about the police state, I mean, he was essentially discussing
1: the state of lockdown that I am currently living in in Los Angeles. Yeah, right, right. And, and guys like that, uh, I played with uh, a blues player named Jimmy Vaughn here or back in Austin and they were he's very close with with uh, Alex Jones and i remember traveling up to one of the Ron Paul events in the in his bus i think it was 2008 and at the time i would see his macbook and he had a piece of tape over the camera thing <laughs> and i said you know i was kind of into this stuff too and i was like jimmy they what's the tape for he's like cia watches you through that thing and i'm like okay whatever and then of course later the wikileaks dump comes out and it was true mm-hmm. And so you look back at these things that you kind of laughed at it initially. And it's like, huh, I guess they were more wise than I realized.
0: Worse than that, though, now it's it's not only become like not a conspiracy anymore to to think oh maybe they're looking at you through the you know through the, through your uh, computer or listening to you through your TV uh, or listening to you for your phone. Now it's it's so accepted that it's like a funny joke that is oh, that everyone seems to be okay with like what well, yeah I, I can't tell you how many times someone will say man it was the craziest thing I was just walking to the store and I just said you know I I just. I mentioned something about a Snickers bar, and I got an ad for a Snickers bar popped up. I'm like, man, they sure are listening to me. But it's it's set like it's set in a way that like, yeah, we all know we all know, yeah. and it's it's just part yeah. of what's accepted now. Um, right. I, I was doing a podcast earlier this week with the guys from, from Good Morning Liberty, and uh, like I said, this this episode, there's no plan. We'll go wherever we go. Uh, but uh, this kind of reminded me, made me think of the Edward Snowden dump uh, back in 2008, and this is not my theory. It's not one I subscribe to, but it's one I'm open to, because I'm open to all theories. Uh, the idea that Edward Snowden is actually like a fed-up of some sorts, perhaps, and that his dump about what was going on uh, with the spying and everything was true it's a real dump a real info leak but that it was done um with the intent of really just uh making of normalizing it of normalizing spying of of us all basically accepting that this is happening and moving on and and looking back now it that's a uh, mission accomplished i mean everyone knows yeah. it happens everyone knows it's going on it's been further codified into law and there's no protest <clears throat> over it whatsoever so whether he is or isn't here we are. It all seemed to work out for the police state.
1: Yeah, and it's like the the frog and the in the boiling water deal. And and a, a friend of mine was kind of ragging on uh, some conspiracy types for not getting the COVID vaccine, and how you know someone had said, "Well, I don't want the chip." <laughs> you don't need to be chip. a
0: conspiracy type to be skeptical no. about
1: about the vaccine. Is yeah, and he was going after the microchip aspect. Like someone had told him, "I don't want the chip in me," and he said, "I told him you you carry around this phone with you." You're on Facebook all the time. That's your chip. Just like you're saying, like it's common knowledge. Like, well, they track us everything, you know, everything we do, everything we read, see, they all know it. And it is funny. Yeah, I hadn't thought about how common... It's just common knowledge now, and it used to be con- extremely conspiratorial. Yeah.
0: It's, fr- it's from conspiracy to common knowledge, and somehow we missed the part in the middle where we're actually supposed to be against it, the whole thing <laughs> and, and yeah, should actually be really, really right. frightened by it. We somehow <laughs> skipped the actual totalitarian future and skipped right to, ha ha ha, we joke about this because this is all the world we live in. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not quite sure how that all happened, but uh, getting back to your story a little bit, how did you go from just guy that uh, sort of learned about liberty and, st- and started taking interest in, the, in these ideas from the uh, the Alex Jones, that's a hell of a combo right there, the Alex Jones, Harry Brown combo, that, that's quite a, yeah. a liberty cocktail of sorts right there, but h- how did you go from that point of just gaining interest in the idea to actually becoming someone who was involved, who was vocal about it, so vocal that he actually went and started his own podcast eventually, but I'm sure this started in sort of smaller conversations, perhaps, you know, I'm, I'm sure you you get into stuff being in the music uh, business for yes. so long, uh, I'm sure you've faced both uh, interesting and frustrating conversations along the way.
1: Yeah. And it's funny, they've become frustrating as of late, I would say, you know, maybe since 2016 or so. Uh, I was always the, the, the uh, crazy libertarian friend within the music scene in Austin, but it's interesting. Uh, Ron Paul was very big here. And so we would play these events for him in 2008 and 2012, but for for sure, when that two thousand eight run ran run happened, the Ron Paul revolution signs and stickers and and all of that paraphernalia, we'll call it, it was all over Austin. And I remember wow. thinking, as these friends would approach me and and I want to go see you play with at the Ron Paul event, and I'm going to vote for Ron Paul. I, I would think even then, this person's definitely not a libertarian, but mm-hmm. s- for whatever reason. They're jumping all in on this part of it, so fine. And uh, so I, I was, like I said, yeah, they'd always, so what about this thing that Ron Paul says? What about this position? And then I guess in maybe, yeah, around 2016, when the the uh, waters really started heating up politically and and then the Trump derangement syndrome, it was uh, rampant in Austin, Texas. So at some point, maybe it was the Tea Party days, libertarianism Amongst the left-wing music crowd that I was familiar with, it became a real bad word. And then I was like, "The oh, now he's the crazy guy. He's the conspiracy guy. Oh, he likes Rand Paul. Rand Paul doesn't want you to have health care. Libertarians mm-hmm. are racist. They're closet fascists." You're
0: like, boy, we came a long way from you. <laughs> you guys wanted yeah.
1: to come see Ron Paul speak, huh? Yeah. They, the anti-war part they didn't care about anymore. It was always these kind of cartoonish, silly uh, versions of what they thought it was. And then, uh, yeah, then I, I, you know, I would hear you guys, I would hear Tom Woods and Jason Stapleton a lot back then. And I just thought,
0: if these idiots can do it. (laughs) No, I I
1: actually thought this is really cool. I want to meet these people and be able to get these messages out to all of these musicians in Austin, because they mm-hmm. all they follow me on Facebook and social media, formerly MySpace, all of this kind of stuff, and they have asked me things over the years if I can get this platform where I can interview these people that know these ideas so well. I'm going to just red pill the music scene, and lo and behold, that never happened. But the podcast did. So. The podcast happened. <laughs> I have been able to interview. So many people that I respect immensely, and I've my knowledge has grown uh, immensely. Like I'm sure you would, you would, you've gone through the same thing. It has to, because when you're talking about these things constantly, interviewing these people, authors, journalists, whatever, you're taking in so much information Mm -hmm. that uh, you can't help but be red pilled along the way. Well, I say that there's names I won't mention out there that still haven't been, but but just you, you learn so much doing this, this job. I mean, that it is a job and uh, I'm so, I love it. I mean, I'm, I'm immersed in it. And so, yeah, those people in Austin, the musicians, that was just a failed experiment, but- Did you
0: make any headway? Was there like just one, one, even just one guy you could say, well, he kind of came around on the drug war maybe. <laughs> oh well, of course they're in on that. Well, yeah, I, mean, you know, that I picked up. I picked <laughs> too easy, Austin, easy Texas, example. Yeah, yeah. They, they were probably on that in the, from the beginning,
1: right? It's just the um, they don't want us to have health care or mm-hmm. the the war issues uh, a moot point with left. It's gone. Now. It's not it's a concern gone.
0: one way or the other.
1: They couldn't care less. Yeah. Um, that's so, that's the
0: saddest thing about the last decade or so of politics is that it yeah, is that yeah, was, the Obama thanks, presidency sucked any life that ever yeah. existed about the anti war movement on the left, and now they're basically neocons.
1: Thanks, Obama. Yeah. Well, the neocons now you're are racist back home. if you're
0: against wars. It's like this is how far it's been flipped around.
1: Yeah, that's that's a good point. Yeah, the neocons are back home where they started on the left side of the aisle. So I, I think they're it's it's a more appropriate fit, and I'm glad they're over there. But um, yeah. But so I know what I would say about the musician stuff is I found some musicians that have reached out to me. I've had some on my show that. Uh, We're kind of unsure where things were, or maybe a little bit right-leaning, but they've gone, you know, basically said, I love what you do. I I guess I am a libertarian. I didn't realize that. But, uh, so there's been, it's funny, it's always some of the more successful ones, interestingly Mm. enough, and the ones that are kind of floundering around, taking uh, some form of welfare check. Lo and behold, they like Joe Biden and Kamala Harris.
0: Perhaps that's not a coincidence. I don't think it might be. (laughs) uh, yeah, it's it's really just fascinating, again, to see, like, I, I really think about the Ron Paul legacy and, and what it means, because he was really, I think, still to this day, 12 years later since the first run, uh, libertarians are still just out there just waiting for the next Ron Paul, yeah. waiting for that. And, and I think that that waiting has just kept us astray. We're, we're looking for the wrong thing, I, I think, in so many ways. We're looking for the next savior. But Ron Paul was so unique in that he was two things at once. He was a true educator and he could inspire people to learn more, to become like real libertarians, uh, you know, hardcore libertarians, inspire people to read Rothbard, Mises, et cetera, Hayek or what have you, and actually educate themselves further. I'd put us in that category, but he could also inspire people from a populist point of view that didn't end up really taking on the message, which is why I think you would see a lot of people that were once Ron Paul supporters that maybe they became Bernie bros at some point. Maybe they became MAGA people at some point because the aspect of Ron Paul that attracted them wasn't the philosophical libertarian part like it was for us. Uh, It was the populist part. And there's a lot of overlap there, and Ron Paul yep. was able to really utilize and just put, strap strap a rocket to that to that overlap, uh, to the point that we maybe we've been fooled in many ways, thinking, oh, there's all these new Ron Paul people. I see all these stickers. I'm talking to people that are interested. They must have become libertarians like me. And it's only now looking back, seeing, okay, only some percentage of those people like really became scholarly yep. libertarians that got so yep. immersed in the philosophy, and 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 that was the appeal to them. Whereas a lot of them were just. Whether it was the Fed, maybe, maybe not, whether it was the anti-war, it was something about the populist aspect of his message that attracted to them, not really the libertarian philosophy, which is sad and also impressive that he could could get that that large number of people to support him.
1: Yeah, the reach that he had was incredible. And and it also, that was my first, even though I was a libertarian, that was a red pill on the media uh, Mm -hmm. part of things because I would watch, you know, I I almost feel silly saying this, but I thought... All right, Fox News will like him because uh, he is like the conservative. And during those debates, they, you know, uh, clearly they didn't like him. And I was like, what are these people doing to him? I can't believe this. You know, now it's funny looking back, like, of course they hated him. They they don't want him to have any say or any power, any platform. But back then I thought the Republicans are really going to love this guy because he is the real deal conservative. And there's a red pill for you. Mm
0: -hmm, Exactly. I mean, to the people that were really paying attention and maybe people that didn't really see how manipulated the system was, this was a huge eye-opener. Like, I think I had an inkling for how corrupt the system was, but to see it so blatantly happening, to see Ron Paul get, I think there was the one uh, debate where he got, I forget the number, it was like 27 seconds or 47 seconds and that was the whole meme going around for like two weeks after that. I mean, so blatant like it's it's like they abandoned any sense at some point of even caring about about acting like they're not biased and just said no we have to actually just take the, well, we can't literally remove him from the debates now because he's doing well and he's like one of the top four candidates uh, so we'll just do our best to ignore him and not let him answer questions and if he does get a question we'll make damn sure it is the biggest nonsense uh, stacking the deck a question possible about that basically of tell us tell us when you stopped beating your wife type question right. you know <laughs> to tell us how long you've supported the terrorist Dr. Right. Paul and that's yeah. the only question he'll ever get I mean it really opened your eyes like okay this thing is rigged at a very deep level and it's really fucking obvious unless well unless you're still blue-pilled which i think which i think is another realization seeing that so many people that you can see the same you can watch the same exact movie as someone else and see a completely different you know, different message, different outcome from it. You can see a completely different reality from that uh, to us. We're seeing that as so uh, such an obvious unveiling and pulling back the curtain on the system. where still, a lot of people see that and just say, "Well, of course they asked him that. He has this ridiculous thing where he where he thinks terrorism has something to do with with our you know." So, of course, they asked that question. Of course, they didn't give him time. He's one of the lower tiered candidates, and you just see people justifying it and justifying it, justifying it. And that's when you got to start thinking. You know, some. It takes something for everybody to go from and we've we've been using this phrase enough I think in in this episode maybe we should try to parse it out a little bit a lot of really what we mean when we say red pill and blue pill because a lot of people mostly people I call blue pill not coincidentally think that a red the red pill term is one to describe conservatism or conservative politics or being Republican as opposed to Democrat um how would you define when you keep using the term "red pill"? How would you define it? Because you know it's it's not red because it, conservatives are red. It's not blue because
1: Democrats are blue. Oh my goodness! I hadn't even thought it. Do, there are people that think of it in those terms. Oh yes, absolutely. Oh. And
0: and I I mean I guess with the color schemes
1: maybe that's one yeah. reason people
0: could say that it, right. it's it's mostly people on the left that or or sort of on that side of things they they think that when we're talking red pills we're saying we're 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 being conservatives we're being on the right that's that's <laughs> why we're using that phraseology
1: okay or they'll enough. say well
0: Curtis Yarvin came up with that so you're a fascist
1: <laughs> okay well. In fairness, I did get it from Curtis Yarvin. Well, let's well, say yeah, I, I mean, got it from Michael he Malice.
0: <laughs> he did come up with v- it. But yeah.
1: yeah, he came up with um, using the Matrix analogy to describe what he was trying to describe. Yeah, yeah, and and that's what people need to think of is that Matrix scene. Uh, funny enough, I've not even seen that movie, but <laughs> but I'm <laughs> familiar with the scene. You should. A few it's times. actually a really it's a really great movie. So Red Pill is just uh, realizing that there's a, uh, it's hard to use Red Pill and not use Red Pill term yeah, like it Cathedral. Is. Um, Let's put it this way: There's a there's an elite group of people that let, let's let's include the establishment, Republicans and Democrats, the university system, the media, and the and the uh, education system. There is a a we call it the cathedral, but there is a group. Of various levels of people, they're not all in on this where they sit in a dark room, but -hmm. there is a narrative pushed forward onto the people of this country, and really throughout the world, this happens everywhere, but specifically here, there's a narrative pushed forward to fool what we will call blue-pilled people (laughs) uh, into believing this is how things work. And let's say the government's there to help us, the people make up the government, the school systems educate people, they go on to college, they become smart, they earn a a, a great living. This is kind of the narrative that's pushed upon people. We have to spread democracy overseas. Uh, This war is because uh, these people are bad and we are good. They attacked us because we're free and they hate freedom. All of these are narratives that are pushed and and they're not real. And so once you see through all of that, that's taking the red pill. To not see through any of that, you're still blue-pilled. Does that does that make sense, Mark?
0: I, I think that's a perfect summary. I, I think it really does come down to narratives and how people see narratives and how people filter their narratives and how people recognize where a narrative comes from and how something it even becomes a narrative in the first place. Uh, again, that's why we can watch the same movie and, and, and you know, see something completely different. Uh, we can watch the same video, but actually watch a different movie. Um, Like, for example, I, I think, just to, to think of the past year, um, uh, someone blue-pilled would say that, you know, the reasons that we still have lockdowns or that we have all these different measures being put into place is because politicians... This is a new virus. Politicians don't really know what to do. They don't know how to handle it. They've made a lot of mistakes along the way, but it's really just them trying to do their best to do something. And there, there's even some like logic in that. There's some Hayekian logic there that, you know, politicians are just kind of flailing about trying to do something, trying to move up, trying to get on top. Uh, it's not completely untrue necessarily, uh, but they will see that as the only the only rationale behind it. To them, there's nothing about a greater narrative being pushed here. There's nothing greater behind it. And yes. that really is the difference. I think being able to recognize. A little bit that there's that there's more to this, that there's more to what we're being told and shown that there is a reason for it. And you can see it so plainly nowadays, uh, whether it's, you know, with coronavirus narratives, it's when you see the same thing appearing everywhere, that it really that the red pill, you know, the red light or whatever you want to call it really starts lighting off. Uh, You know, like when you see the same Fortune 500 companies all sending the same email uh, using the same exact language about insurrection and the rule of law. This is if you're blue pilled, you think, well, yes, the, of course, this terrible thing happened at the Capitol. Of course, corporate America is going to appeal to their base. So, And you're just seeing them reacting naturally. If you're yeah. red pilled, you say, okay, there's obviously an agenda being pushed here. I, yes. I'm not saying it's from three guys in a smoky room. It might just be something as, as you know, quote unquote, benign as, as massive groupthink. Uh, although yeah. that's, that's kind of sort of a red, uh, blue pill explanation too, because I think it does go a little deeper than that usually. Uh, but that, that's the real difference. It's, it's how you view the narratives that we see in life. Do you view them as just the way things happen to be because of the natural course of, of logical events? Or do you actually realize there are actually people out there that do try to manipulate things yes. and they're pretty damn successful
1: at it. <laughs> yes, they're very successful. And it doesn't mean all of them. That was, you know, and I was a blue pill libertarian for a long time and you would see, uh, Shows like John Stossel, and I, I definitely think he's valuable, and I think he's a very good gateway drug, but shows like that, and it's just like, these government people, they're just so stupid, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, uh, well, some of them are, sure. And even maybe some at the top, if you're going to take a, I don't know, an IQ test or something, they're not particularly bright, but it's there's no, there's a lot of nefarious purposes and and bad actors up there that are doing stuff for their own benefit, and they're lying to you, so quit just thinking that they're stupid. And, in fact, um, I think you and I, um, I you commented or something, uh, when when that Gavin uh, Newsom thing uh, happened at, at French Laundry, mm-hmm. and I remember thinking, okay, yeah, it's he's hypocritical, but is that really, like... Is that really what we're learning here?
0: Yeah, that's burying the lead. Of course, it's hypocritical. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like we understand yeah.
1: he's a politician. They're all hypocritical. Nancy Pelosi in the hair salon in the Bay Area. But I think the more important thing you're seeing here is he doesn't, he knows that this whole COVID thing, it's not deathly scary like he keeps making it out to be. Otherwise, right. in pure, he would just not do what he's doing. Yeah. If he really feared for his life and his family's lives, like he's preaching to everyone else, he wouldn't be there that's all you have to know and that's the that's a red pill in itself
0: right and hopefully it is to many people uh you know many people do see it as simple hypocrisy but like i said that is that's the blue pill oh oh he just he just kind of said well I'm, I'm gonna go against my thing because i'm a, I'm a politician i'm a hypocrite uh yeah, looking at the higher level you have to realize if he's doing that it's 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 more than hypocritical it means it's right. conscience. You know, yes. it means it's it's actually uh, it, he's actually presenting a narrative that he knows not to be true or believes not to be true. And that is the real difference. I guess I guess the real difference maybe between red and blue pills is whether you think the bad things that happen are entirely unintentional, uh, just mm-hmm. the, you know, the fallacy of politicians sort of not knowing what they're doing and uh, not being able to know what they're doing, which is true. It is true. They can't manage an economy even if they wanted to, even if they right. did have the best intentions. But that very same system is. Uh, is what allows the worst to rise to the top, what almost requires that the worst arise to the top. And the worst, the worst have intentions. The worst
1: have bad intentions. Yes, no doubt. They're uh, bad actors, and they're not doing things. They don't stumble into things by accident.
0: And speaking of stumbling into things by accident, one brand that I stumbled into by accident was our friends, our coffee friends, at Lorenzati Italy. I stumbled into them when they joined our Patreon and started advertising on this show. These guys have some premium coffee blends at an amazing price. You want to check them out at laurenzotti.coffee. That's laurenzotti.coffee, not .com. And what I love about these guys is that they aren't just fine coffee connoisseurs. They are also not just entrepreneurs themselves, but they are out there helping other people start their own businesses. Uh, they help people procure equipment, financing, and everything else they need to start their own coffee shops. So please do check out our friends at LaurenZadi. Italy. Don't forget to use discount code Lions for 10% off your order. I want to talk a little bit more about uh, the direction of your show, uh, especially the direction it's taken as of late. One day I open up my podcatcher and I just see uh, Death to Tyrants. is It's gone. What happened? Uh, but it's still there. I still see it popping up. I still see Buck Johnson. Everything's okay. It's now called CounterFlow with Buck Johnson. What exactly inspired this change of direction? And of course, a big part of that is this new network that you're in, involved with with uh, our friend Thaddeus Russell.
1: Yes, so that is part of it. Uh, Thaddeus Russell and his his partners have created a podcast network and it's called the renegade media network. And uh, the counterflow podcast is going to be the first of the new shows on this network. I mean, I guess you could say unregistered first and foremost on there, but yeah, Thaddeus has been extremely uh, kind and helpful behind the scenes to me. And so I wanted to, once he offered me this role, he basically he said, can you do a different podcast and and still do Death to Tyrants? And I said, well, I mean, kudos to all of you guys out there that do multiple podcasts per week, but one's a lot of work. Um,
0: As someone who does two, I can say Mm -hmm. that's a lot of work.
1: Yeah, and, and you guys still do like the conspiracy corner and all that stuff. I always think...
0: Oh yeah, I, I did. Yeah, exactly. I, we do bonus content and yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, I've never, I never stopped podcasting essentially.
1: So when he he was talking to me, he said, you know, I love your style. I love what you do. When you interview me, it's, it's some of the, it brings the best out in me. And I think you do that with uh, these other people and, and here's, he's pumping me full of positive uh, feedback. And so he said, I don't, well, this isn't just him. So I don't want to just throw this out there. Like, I had also been thinking at the time, I don't want to put a ceiling on my on my program in that I have been turned down uh, by multiple people, some of them who your listeners definitely know, mm-hmm. uh, because of the name of of the old podcast, Death Tyrants. I could see that. And I for sure have been turned down by- It made me want to go
0: on your show more, for the record. So it right, probably it, goes it, both ways <laughs> It, it Death does the tyrants go Tyrants is a great name. I'm in.
1: And I remember the first time I interviewed Lou Rockwell, he said, "By the way, I love the name of your show." So <laughs> so when I did change it, I thought of him saying that. And I was like, "Oh, man. But, Poor Lou, he's going to be so disappointed." But it, it it did a little bit limit things. And also, I was so blackpilled. Well, we're just going to throw all these terms let's, out. Let's let's put all the pills out there. <laughs> uh, meaning uh, pessimistic about libertarianism. Uh, towards the end of this past year and and so I I actually I would contact some people that I really looked up to uh, to do some interviews and they 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 cringed at the libertarian word. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm trying to figure out how do I get out of this pigeonhole where I'm just a libertarian podcast. I can still have the same politics. I don't have to have that label on there. And then also, uh, you know, Death to ty- Tyrants was so strident and I didn't want people like, well, uh, I don't know if it's good for my, you know, th- th- I- I'm trying to get people It's a great in. name for targeting people in the music scene. It is, but I, I don't want people to t- turn things down because of the name of a show. Right. And sure. while I've got it tattooed across my chest, you know, I'm, <laughs> it's always going to be part of me. It's behind me on my wall. So, uh, when Thaddeus approached me, I had been th- mulling this over in my mind, like, how do I do this switch, kind of a rebrand of sorts? And uh, Thad said, "I want you to come aboard this network. You can keep your show, just create another one." And I said, "I do, I just want one show. How about I just rebrand it uh, and keep my same style? I still have my same politics. Uh, that can that's still going to be a major part of it." It's just not going to be so strident. Hey, I'm cap libertarian, death to tyrants. And so uh, that's basically mm-hmm. the gist of it. And uh, so, yeah, some of the, I, you know, I, I kind of, I have a love for uh, populism, paleo-conservative stuff. And, and so some of the right-wingers that I will be bringing back and have, have, have excuse me, have had on before, they uh, – Th- they were hesitant to come on a quote-unquote hardcore libertarian show. So I just thought, you know what? If this is going to open up uh, my possibilities for guests who I really want, then then I can just change the name because I'm still me. I still have the same politics. And also, um, I wanted to feature other aspects of my life. And so I will begin t- getting um, people that aren't just political on, on the show and as long as they are, we can, we can even call it red-pilled in their area of life, uh, then, then then they will be on. And obviously the name implies uh, flowing counter to the mainstream. And so I, I like that, you know, every aspect of my life basically is that way. My music is is subcultures music that I'm into. Uh, my job, I, I don't know that I've talked about this much outside of my own counterflow episode number one, but I'm a firefighter. So even that's like, we go in and everyone else is running the other way. Right, right, Um, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And my politics, of course- That's a uh, a
0: hell of an analogy or your career to your whole, to everything, every other aspect of your life, really.
1: Yeah, it is. And so when I told uh, Thad, I said, I think Counter," and he knows all this about me. We've had multiple offline conversations and I said counterflow and he was like, bro, that's it. He goes, that is you, that's everything about you. (laughs) That's the one. I said so. All right, let's do it. And and I'm I'm much I'm very much into weightlifting, and so I'm trying to get people uh, who have kind of a unique perspective from even the fitness world um, that maybe don't think steroids are a horrible thing for you, like the the narrative that's been pushed upon us all these years, and and stuff like that. So I'm kind of exploring those avenues as well. But behind it all is obviously uh, my politics. And uh, they flow counter to everything else. So that's kind of what we're doing now.
0: Yeah, I, I got to be honest. I've been go- going through a lot of the same thought process myself lately with this show. Uh, really over the past like year, year and a half. Uh, because a lot of times I do want to reach out. And, and I have done shows with other people that aren't strictly necessarily you know, libertarians per se. But at the end of the day, I do feel like I'm a little boxed in by the of liberty, you know, and liberty should be just a word that everyone agrees on, I would think, but it, unfortunately, the word is just kind of tied into r- the right-wing conservative uh, politics, and I, I feel like in many ways, I know John has experienced some of this just with Felony Friday because he is pulling so many people from the more progressive side of things, like the um, the the side of things that is more into the criminal justice movement, and uh, but a lot of times, even then, he's a little trepidatious about the of liberty, about, you know, the, the fact it's a libertarian podcast, um, uh, and I think that was part of uh, him rebranding as well, a little bit, too. Uh, so you know, we, we've discussed internally this this thing, too. But I think at the end of the day, for us, having been here seven plus years, um, the Lions of Liberty brand is, has too much sort of equity built in it to change it. But uh, I have had that urge. And I think over the last year or so, I have um, been... I think I've subtly, to those paying attention, been shifting my tone a little bit and shifting the focus of a lot of the a lot of the episodes that I do. Anyway, I've been trying to put more things into just out of the strictly looking at things through the libertarian philosophy and trying to just have broader conversations, uh, conversations that I hope can appeal to people outside of just the strict libertarian movement. But it is a, it is a conversation we have and it's something that that I bat around a lot because sadly the phrase liberty can actually hold you back, just like the phrase you know death to tyrants can scare yeah. some people. Bluff.
1: No doubt I, I found out this last year especially when you say libertarian to people outside of our world, it's it can have a really negative connotation. And I you know I would go back and forth with these people who I, or I'm, I'm friendly with and they'd say they, they, off, oftentimes they're referencing what I would believe to be probably reasonites. And they would say, libertarians, why, why are you messing with that world? All they care about is uh, sex legalism, you know, prostitution legalization and sex work legalization. And
0: and you said, no, it's not all we care about. It's not <laughs> all. I mean, that's what
1: I care about. No.
0: That, that's my personal thing. But there are others that care about other aspects.
1: But their overall view of it was that it was some kind of soft, blue-pilled lefty thing that liked – the people liked low taxes. And it was just like, you know, I, I wanna go, you have to understand what the Mises Institute is. And but if they don't get into that world, then then they're just not going to understand that kind of stuff. So I and, and so in some of these ways it was limiting uh my guests and I didn't want that on there.
0: What sort of types of guests are you, are you looking at having different types of people? Like you said, uh, you're looking to have people from the music uh, industry, yes. uh, maybe from the fitness world. Like, what what are you trying to get out of your guests now that you might not have been so much before when it was strictly more of a quote-unquote libertarian podcast?
1: I want to know, I want to interview people that are have a unique perspective. And, and let me, here's an analogy. I, I spoke with a, a girl yesterday. By the time this episode comes out, that episode will be out. And she was talking about this. It's the time warp of podcasting. Is, I, right. I, we're always talking. So
0: sometimes I'll be I'll doing. I'll be recording an episode, and I'll reference something, and I'll realize that that episode hasn't aired yet, but the one I'm recording then will air. And I'm like, oh god, caught in the podcast yeah. time
1: warp. Here we go. <laughs> what do I say? What will make sense? Um, so there was this test, this experiment. I, I can't remember what she called it, but it had happened for decades. It started, believe in the 50s. I think it was called the Ash experiment or something like that and it was basically to uh conform it was it was measuring conformity within a population and it would bring in five people four of them were plants they were in on this thing the one person was not they would draw these lines with ash on this piece of paper one of them was clearly longer than all of the other ones and they would say show the longest line on this paper Well, the first four people that were in on it would point to one that was not clearly not the longest one. And 75% of the time, the person not in on it would just point to the one that they all pointed to. And it was so telling. And so uh, that just came up yesterday in a discussion. And I, I thought afterwards, I was like, the 25%, that's the people that I'm targeting for my show. Those are the people that could that can be red pilled.
0: It yes. doesn't mean that they are correct, but it means that if you give it to them, they might take it and it might work. Whereas yes. the other seventy five percent, probably not going to happen. But heck, twenty five percent of the population isn't too bad all, all, for a political movement. I'm not saying we have that, right? But it's enough of an audience that we can hopefully reach uh, with the message. Because you're right, if you're if you're one of the people that's gonna just point to the the line, you know, is the wrong line. And then Just, no, you're probably not, you're probably not going to be that open to our ideas right, <laughs> at this point. Yes. You're going to need a little more work first.
1: And, and so I know there's people like that because I do come from the music world uh, and I have connections t- to a lot of people in that industry. Uh, I'm working on a fairly giant name, I guess you could say in the punk rock world, uh, but things need to mellow out. W- In 2021, where we're at with this massive craziness that happened on January 6th, some people are so famous that they're waiting to make appearances on shows before. They're like, can I say, what can I say? And before I get... You know, disbanded completely.
0: You mean to talk about politics at all? Yes,
1: or, and, and so I, I, I have reached and out.
0: That's so. That's such a frightening aspect of where everything is going. Yeah. Whether you're someone who is banned or even in danger of getting banned, even if you're not, even me now when I post something, I, I find myself sometimes thinking like, "Is this something that could get me banned?" And then I, like, I have to slap myself. I'm like, "Who cares? If it, if you do, if it does, it does. Like, yeah. fine, I'm not going to live in this world." At the same time. Twitter, Facebook, these are battlefields now. This is yeah. an information war. To go back to yes. Alex Jones, and it's a battlefield we want to be on. So maybe it makes sense for people like us to to not to try not to get banned. But with but you, how do you do that while not actually censoring your own speech? And then this just becomes the chilling effect because to participate to play ball at this point, you do have to censor yourself
1: yeah. if you want to stay on there. And and some of these people, I understand. You know, the, the guy I'm uh, referring to is, is a millionaire, and so. He, when you play to such a large audience, you ha, he, I understand where he's coming from, like, hold on, let me, let's let things kind of simmer out here for a second before I uh, appear on your show. I got to figure out which way the wind's blowing almost before I'm allowed to talk about politics and still uh, perform for large audiences. Um, so people, wow. I want to get people from the music world that are have a red-pilled mentality. Um, there's a guy I want to reach out to, I won't even give it away yet, in the fitness world that's not just a generic, hey, I like working out. And like I said, I, I, I find the, uh, the underdog, the minority viewpoint fascinating uh, because we've been told steroids will kill you forever and ever, and you and I love wrestling. And so that was a major story throughout wrestling in the 90s And uh, I find it interesting when a well known lifter says, they're not bad for you. I do them. So I I think interesting takes like that is what I want. And and, Jose
0: Canseco has been saying that for years, man. Yes,
1: that's right. And I think he looks
0: pretty good right now.
1: I find those opinions interesting. And so uh, there's people like that that I want to reach out to and get on. Um, You know, mostly I love politics and and political discussions and, and philosophical discussions. So it's mainly going to be that with uh, some interesting things here and there on the outside of that.
0: Well, kick ass, my dude. Uh, I, I've been loving your show uh, since I've, you know, really since you reached out to me to be on that show uh, is when I started listening to it and I, I've been enjoying it too. And I think the direction you're taking is is an excellent one. Uh, obviously being partner with Thaddeus, being part of that network is huge, but I think just the overall direction you're taking is the right one to take. I, I think it is going to open up so many opportunities uh, for the kind of people you interview and the, and the, and the way you're going to be able to deliver that that same message that is still inside of you, that's still part of what you're doing. So I'm really excited to, uh, to uh, continue to hear I guess to continue to listen to what you're doing over at CounterFlow. One thing I just want to ask you about, since, since you brought it up and I didn't even realize this before, I feel like I might've heard you mention it, but I hadn't really thought about it deeply is is your career as a firefighter. And um, how, first of all, like the where you work as a firefighter, are you... Um, You're paid a salary, correct? Obviously, if it's your your job, you're actually paid a salary. So is that, is it a privately funded or is it a government? No, it's a government. And that's the thing with it. It, it Because there are both depending on like the municipality, right?
1: There are, but it is extremely, unless you're working for a a plant, a uh, uh, petroleum kind of plant, there's like in Mm -hmm. Lake Jackson area along the coast of Texas, um, there's almost no private fire departments. And it's funny my old
0: in my town when I grew up it was a, like a all volunteer fire department. And I had like a, a couple of friends whose dads were part were part of it and, and everything. But I think that's that's maybe a small town that's thing. It doesn't necessarily happen stuff.
1: everywhere, yeah. Yep. Um Yeah, it's paid. And, and for a while there it was so tough for me because I I became a firefighter just before I became a libertarian. And then for years I you know, I was young and I partied so hard I never even put it together. Like, wait a second. I get paid by the government. I, you know, I thought about it, but it wasn't too. It didn't matter to me. And then there's, there was a time in the last few years where I'm like, ah, what do I do about this? And my uh, one of my old friends I used to work with is a hardcore Rothbardian too, and he's like, what do we do, bro? I mean, and it's like he goes, will you ask Tom Woods what we should do? <laughs> and it's like. There's no other choice if you want. If this is in your blood and you want to help people in this manner and and fight fire and and do CPR on people and save lives, yeah. you can't do it unless it's government. There, I mean, you can off on a ship, off on a at a plant on the coast, but but as far as like making calls, putting out fires at a house. Rescuing people from a house fire—you—you you can't do it any other way. And so, I think it was Rothbard that said, uh, "If if there's a function that would exist privately, uh, I understand why why someone would do it if if the if the government has the monopoly on it at that moment." Sure.
0: And no matter what form of government or lack of government or anything that we take or that takes shape in the world uh, or in whatever locality, uh, there's always going to be a demand for Putting out a fire, like yes. fires need to be put out. Fires happen. Yeah. That's always going to be in demand, and that's and just because the government has monopolized it on pretty much every level, yeah. uh, t- doesn't make everyone that that does it a bad person or right. a statist or anything like that. In fact, maybe you are helping by being a libertarian in a position where people are paid by the government. I'm curious, do you get into conversations with fellow fighter fighters about this kind of thing, and yes. uh, you know, I, I'm sure it probably comes up in an objection. Well, look at you. You work here for the fire department. How would we get our money with it without the government? How? Would we exist what's what's your response when this sort of thing comes up
1: well i thought over the years i thought i wonder if i could work on like presenting something where i could make a private fire department work and uh, you know i could uh it would take a lot of energy um I don't care about that part of it that particularly that much, and so I have not done that yet. I, I do have ideas, and I it would definitely be a lot smaller. It would be almost neighborhood to neighborhood, uh, city block times five by city block times five. Um, it would almost be like how we have fire stations laid out. That would be the fire department for that area rather than... A mm-hmm. city fire department where that's just a station.
0: So it'd probably be decentralized, and maybe those yes. local neighborhoods just kind of Correct. chip in. Insurance, for uh, insurance, uh, insurance
1: would do a lot of the 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 work on that. But I have to be honest; I'm I was shocked, and I still am a little bit the number of firefighters that listen to my show. And at first, it would be one or two, and they'd write me or come up to me at the gym and. Hey, uh, that's pretty good stuff. And it's like, you know, cause the, my, they were two separate worlds for me. And right. it's like, wait, you listen to my show?
0: Yeah. yeah worlds they, are colliding. They are. It,
1: and and that, it is
0: always interesting when that happens, when you're not expecting it. Like when I have someone at work saying, Hey, I checked, listened to your show. there. I'm like, you did like yes. what? Yeah. And it, you didn't, and you'd still want to talk to me. So exactly. <laughs> <We're> like, <cool?
1: laughs> are we cool? And, and so, yeah, I see it now all the time on, on social media, they will repost my show on a random, I mean, excuse me, on a regular basis. And, uh. So I've won a lot of them over and I think that's a good thing too.
0: Well, maybe people like you that do the same thing that are literally running counter to the flow of where yeah. everybody else is running uh, are maybe more naturally inclined to to be open to these ideas. So so that, that might actually make a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, one more thing I'm curious just about what it is in the day-to-day life of a firefighter. Like how, what percentage of your day-to-day activity is actually like, oh shit, we have to put out a fire. And what percentage is kind of like just waiting for a fire, or what else? Do you, have? I'm sure there's other stuff you do in there in the middle, but uh, so I'm just kind of curious more about your day to day, yeah, day to day aspects.
1: It depends what station you work at. Um, I, uh, the former, the station I was at prior to my one now was the busiest in 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 that department, and so it was like you try to get some stuff done here and there, but it's just like constant call after call. They're not all fires, of course. A lot of them aren't fires. Um, The station I'm at now is a lot more mellow, which is wonderful Uh, in my old age. I would say if you make four calls a shift, you'll have a couple of car wrecks, a couple of medical calls, and if you're lucky, a fire. But the actual structure fires are maybe one a month, something like that. Uh, there's car fires. Why do they
0: send fire trucks to everything, by the way? Because that seems to be the case. Any, everything. I understand it's some, maybe with a fire, with the car crash, they're worried if, they're, if a car could become on fire. Because we're also summit.
1: medics. No. And so we get on all medical calls, uh, We and, and there's a lot of places, including the area I work in, there's way more fire trucks than there are ambulances. So at least we mm-hmm. get there first and kind of mitigate the situation, and then prep the patient to go with the ambulance that arrives five to 10 minutes after we get there.
0: I never realized that firefighters play that role in non-fire circumstances. I oh, always yeah. just thought, ah, the government way sending firefighters to to, to to park their truck at this thing. So that's good to know. Yeah. I, can, I, can, I can have more positive thoughts next time I see a fire truck sitting besides a, a car crash or something like that.
1: Yeah. And there are a lot more libertarian uh, firefighters than you might think.
0: Well, maybe I'll stop and talk to them next time, jeez Now, yeah. now that I know they're they're probably they doing good work and might even be open to libertarian ideas. they might yeah. listen to you. They might. They just might. All right. Well. Well. Buck. Uh, I, I'm sure you're going to get a lot more. A uh, lot more than just firefighters listening to uh, Counterflow uh, as the days go on here. So uh, first of all, congratulations for on the new show and on, on the Thank new you. network. But uh, I'm personally, like I said, really looking forward to hearing it and continuing to hear it. So uh, looking forward to what you're everything you're going to be doing with that show. Uh, before I let you go, why don't you just give everybody the full roundup of how they can find you, social media, websites. Uh, you know, your your mom's birthday party, whatever it is, you need
1: to you need to tell people about. <laughs> All right, so Twitter at Buck Rebel, buckrebel b u c k r e b e l. So as of right now, the website is still deathtotyrantspodcast dot com. We're in the midst of changing that. Um, I don't do that at all because I am terrible at it. But uh, my my friend Bobby, who's working on my site, uh, we're we're in the process of changing. But until then, deathtotyrantspodcast dot com. I'm um, on Facebook. You can just search Counterflow Podcast. And, uh, you guys listen to this. You know all the, all the ways to, oh, I'm on now. I'm on a, uh, a, a telegram. Uh, how do you say this? Telegram. I got a telegram group. So if you're on telegram, the app search counterflow with Buck Johnson. And, uh, if you're one of those people from the loser brigade that snuck in there the other day and thought you were really hot shit taking pictures and posting it all over the place, I don't care because I'm not saying anything that's secretive in there, but you guys who are listening who are fans. Of what I do, obviously, you're more than welcome to come on in and take part in uh, the conversation on Telegram. All these, all these methods, we got to find to communicate because they keep yeah. cracking down on people.
0: And now it's become more than. Oh, maybe we'll, we'll probably get to platform someday. Worry about it later. like, no, we might get to platform like tomorrow. So I know now that's why we're, we have a MeWe group now uh, we're using like signal and telegram for messenger with various people, like pretty much every, everybody I know that I communicated with on Facebook and Twitter, we have an alternate method at this point. Um, yes. so it's, it's become a uh, more than fantasy, just like a, a, an immediate necessity. It's like
1: tears of the old days. We're just going to have to say, Hey go take this pamphlet to that guy down in that town over there. And yeah, really I'm
0: not. waiting for the carrier pigeons to come back yeah. personally. Right, I'm going to take a little uh, carrier pigeon course and, and uh, see what I can do there. Uh, but Buck, uh, until then, until we get banned, we can at least still find you on podcast apps whenever podcasts are found. Uh, be searching, of course, CounterFlow with Buck Johnson. Buck, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Keep up the great work and, of course, keep on roaring.
1: Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me on and uh, it's, it's, uh, it's an honor and a pleasure I've listened to you guys for a long time. This is cool. Thank you.
0: All right, kitties. I hope you enjoyed my conversation there with Buck Johnson. And uh, as we approach 500 episodes here, I say we. We are approaching many more than 500 episodes if you include uh, Brian McWilliams with Electric Liberty Land every single Wednesday, if you include John Odermatt with Finding Freedom every single Thursday, uh, but I personally am approaching 500 of my own episodes here on Lines of Liberty, of course. As I spoke with Buck, uh, well, I've done so many more than 500 podcasts with all the, the bonus content that our patrons are privy to, Conspiracy Corner, uh, bonus segments with guests. We've just done so much, so much, so much for our patrons, and we're We're going to reward our patrons even more because on February 8th, we're going to have a live stream. Only for our patrons, where we record and celebrate 500 episodes of Lions of Liberty. I'll be bringing on the entire Lions of Liberty crew, uh, as well as some special friends of the show from over the years making some appearances. That is, again, going to be on February 8th. Uh, The only way you'll be able to see this live is by becoming a patron of the show. And if there was any time to become a patron, if you've been listening over the years and you haven't yet, it may just be right now when we're about to hit the 500th episode of the flagship Lions of Liberty podcast. So to be a part of this very special live stream... You want you to head over to Patreon.com/slash Lions of Liberty. Choose a level, any level. We're eliminating the two dollar level, so anybody at five dollars or higher per month will uh, retain access to the live Facebook group. Will be able to access this live show through that group. Uh, so please do check it out. Patreon.com/slash Lions of Liberty. We truly, truly appreciate the support from all of our many, many, many patrons who have supported the show over the years. We want to reward you not with just the special. Uh, live stream which will be repurposed into a, an episode of of the podcast itself but it will not be the the full show only the people watching live will get uh, every single second of the action here. I will also be doing some more book giveaways on this episode. Anybody tuning in live will have the chance to comment and at the end of the show get a free book from the Mark Claire Liberty Collection I am cleaning out, making some space in my home, getting ready to simplify my life and I'm giving away some books in the process of that I am already giving books away. Uh, to people who sign up on our Patreon. So patreon.com slash lionsofliberty, you might skirt in and be one of the people to get uh, one of the first five books I'm giving away. But if not, I'll be giving away even more at the end of that very special live stream. So again, patreon.com slash lionsofliberty talks us a few smackers, five smackers a month. You can hop in, support the show and celebrate 500 episodes with us. I'm excited. I hope you're excited. Until next week, my friends. Live live! and live free.